Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, if you could pick a Met Gala theme, what would you pick and who would you expect to be the best dressed? Oh my goodness, a Met Gala theme. I think I would do something food related. Mm -hmm. I feel like they don't serve enough food at the Met Gala and there should be something food related. Or just cats. And then we know we would just invite Jared Leto. (laughs) You know what? He is a deeply irritating celebrity, but I've got to hand it to him. It was that was he committed amazing, (laughs) amazing work. It's it's the it's Jared Leto's best work of his entire career. (laughs) This week, we're joined by Karina Longworth, Kara Clank and Michaela Watkins to take on the following questions. What are Hollywood writers striking about? What can film teach us about prevailing social attitudes? Is rejection really the best teacher? And should you go see a pet psychic? All this and more right now. All right, welcome to another week of Hysteria, the podcast that wants Joe Manchin to fuck all the way off, but would 100% accept an invitation to drink champagne on his yacht so that we could steal the champagne. Yes, and then go drink it on a pier by ourselves. Exactly. That would be way more fun than being on his yacht. But it'd be fun to do some selfies being like, hey, we're stealing Joe Manchin's champagne. We're here, stealing champagne, Ocean Uh, 17. (laughs) I mean, in terms of yachts from which I would like to steal champagne, if I had to, to rank them... I would mm-hmm. say Joe Manchin's wouldn't be like at the very top. There are no, other Lo- Logan who... Roy's would be number one. <laughs> oh, for, totally. Yes. We, we would have to will succession to be real <laughs> in a real way. Uh, but nobody wants to watch Rupert Murdoch do anything. He's not, no. he, he's not interesting to look at. Okay. Speaking of uh, Hollywood, I guess, uh, the WGA is on strike. Aaron. I'm telling you, earlier this week, talks broke down between the union that represents Hollywood writers, the WGA, Writers Guild of America, and Hollywood Studios. 97% of the WGA voted to strike if such a breakdown happened. And now 11,000, more than 11,000 writers, countless builders, carpenters, caterers, drivers, and support staff are out of work and on a picket line as productions shut down. Aaron. What is happening? Why? What is what happened? What was so what were the studios not willing to uh, give the writers of our favorite shows? So let me just preface this by saying I'm a member of the WGA. I was one of the people who voted to authorize the strike uh, along with like ninety seven point eight percent of of screenwriters. And so when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about it as like an organizer of the strike or anybody who is involved in negotiations. This is all public stuff, right? This is all stuff that like all the public. Writers Guild has has put out. I've got no inside info, but I have been brainstorming signs for when I go hit the picket line later today. Um, okay, so basically every three years, the Writers Guild works out a contract with the studios. And our most recent contract expired on May 1st. And um, in the lead up to those contract expirations, there's some asks. Usually the writers are like, hey, we want this. And studios are like, yes or no or whatever. And or they, they come to some sort of compromise. This time around, from early on, it was pretty clear that negotiations weren't going very well. Uh, we don't always do the strike authorization vote. Um, that's just something that happens um, if people on the negotiating team are like, mm, maybe things aren't going to quite work out. And that's what happened this time. So we authorized a strike a couple of weeks ago when our contract expired on May 1st. 
uh, at the end of the day on May 1st, uh, no no agreement had been reached. And so the strike was on. Um, the strike is about a few things, but it's uh, you can boil it down to say it is about screenwriting, writing for TV and film as a viable, sustainable career. Um, and it has become less viable and less sustainable over recent years as studios have abused various workarounds in order to pay writers less, hire fewer writers, and uh, basically pocket the money that writers' content is making them. So um, here's an example. Residuals are a huge thing. It used to be, if I wrote an episode of like, who's the boss, right? Um, and uh, it aired. I would get paid for that script. I would get paid for every time this, the uh, show that I wrote aired in rerun on, you know, on TV. So it used to be that if you wrote for a show that went into syndication, you would get fairly sizable uh, residuals checks every year. They were they would be like sort of a sustainable base income because when you're a writer, you don't you go a really long time without working. Sometimes, sometimes you go months. Some people go a year or more between projects. Um, it's it's really competitive. Uh, shows go on hiatus sometimes. Um, and sometimes people are just like looking for work in a new room, and it's just it's a it's a very feast or famine type of work. So residuals are really important for making sure that writers were able to be fairly compensated throughout their careers. Uh, with streaming, um, studios are just kind of pocketing the residuals, and so they're putting episodes of shows that writers wrote up on streamers, and the writer is not seeing any of that money. And so the Writers Guild is asking for a more fair. Uh, system of paying residuals uh, for streaming services. They're also asking um, for uh, studios to stop abusing mini rooms, which is where yeah. fewer writers working for a, a shorter amount of time write fewer episodes, which may which means that there are less jobs. It means those writers who do have the jobs are getting paid a lot of times less than their minimum. It's it's really like a lot of people are getting cut out. Um, and with a mini room, usually the people in a mini room are all like high-level writers working mm -hmm. for a fraction of what they would normally make, um, and which means that people who are just getting started or who are mid-level writers are sort of being shut out of opportunities. Um, it also means that the shows are kind of getting worse. I guess maybe yeah. you might have noticed that over the last few years – the quality of TV, while there are some real standouts, the overall quality of an average show, not high. Um, and part of that is because studios won't pay enough writers and give them enough time to write actual good shows. So that's one thing. There's other asks, too, like the use of AI. Um, Which is crazy. Erin, this was the part when I was reading through all the articles there were two things that stuck out at me that I think people need to realize. One, that when writers, when you mentioned Who's the Boss, well, back in the day when Who's the Boss was on, that show was probably 22 episodes. So writers yep. were employed for the entirety of an entire season, an entire season of a show. Mm -hmm. Now, look at our favorite shows like Succession, eight or 10 episodes max. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. The other, AI, I couldn't believe, and you can, you can uh, expand on this, the... Writers Guild wanted assurances of how AI would be used, that writers wouldn't be replaced with AI, that they wouldn't start a script and then AI would take it over. And Aaron, I read that the Hollywood studios said, instead of that, we'll have a meeting once a year to explain technology to you. Yeah. Truly one of the most offensive passback proposals I have ever seen. 
Yeah, no, I don't know what I don't know how they think this is going to go for them. Um, because yeah, use of AI is is like an existential threat to writing, and it's going to make shows that are bad. Like AI yeah. is going to write worse shows than what a human writer could write. Um, it's going to come up with worse, stupider punch-ups. There was literally an episode of South Park several years back where there's a robot called Funnybot that just tells oh, yeah. jokes, and. It's funny because South Park once again predicted the future. Yeah, the the studio's response to that was really insulting. Um, I am just so like I said, I'm in the WGA, but I also you know I'm talking as a crooked host. So being a screenwriter is not the only thing that I do. You know, right. but for a lot of people who are working in TV and film, it's like the only thing that they do. And the last time we had a strike like this was 2007, 2008, and it was like 100 days long. Um, That doesn't seem like that long. But But it is. But also, Aaron, what did the 2007 strike give birth to? It didn't really give birth to anything. It It, did at the end. Okay. So I think that this is, I want to kind of like, give a little pushback on the point that I think that you're making, which is okay. that the, the Apprentice began airing during that. And that's how we got I, Donald Trump as somebody who played a, a competent businessman on TV. And people thought that was real life because it was reality TV, even though it was just fake. Um, he basically just showed up to throw around racial slurs, sexually harass the female cast members, and then he went home. He wasn't doing business stuff. Um, but uh, that is true that The Apprentice kind of came to the fore during the time that there weren't any scripted shows being produced. Um, But it's also true that reality TV was on the rise in the years before. Like Survivor was a thing. American Idol was a thing. Like, you know, remember when Who uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was like the show everyone was watching on TV? Totally. Never a fan of it, but remember it vividly. Yeah, I can still and and then um the weakest link was another one. Yeah, that oh, was yeah, another the weakest link. Yeah, everybody loved a primetime game show for a period of time. So, I will say that in the last writer's strike, there were uh, they were filling in the gaps with reality TV. Um, this time around, that's definitely going to happen. We're going to see some stupid mm-hmm. bad reality try to to take the place of of the scripted shows that you like. Um, but we're also going to see a lot of international stuff. Like Netflix yeah. just just invested a ton in um, South Korean content and South Korean content. All of the stuff that I've watched in the U.S., all the stuff that's made it over here has been like top notch, and I've loved it. But they're not part of the Writers Guild, so. Right. Um, that's that's one way around kind of uh, what we're what we're talking about here. So what we're seeing now is there's no late night comedies, no SNL. Right. Um, during the last writers' strike, Conan O'Brien sort of uh, pl- like did his show without writers, um, yeah. and it was like at one point. Did you see where he like spun his wedding yeah. ring for as long yeah. as he could? It's- um, yeah. So I'm hoping it get resol- it gets resolved quickly, just because of. So many people whose livelihoods depend on this. I think that the economy of California stands to lose billions and billions of dollars. Um, But also this is, you know, if you ask the WGA, this is an existential moment for them. Um, Writing is going to be a gig job unless we get, the writers get some of what we're asking for. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's kind of the long and short of it. And I talked about this for a long time. Well, um, it's interesting, and I think people need to know the nuts and bolts of what's really happening. Um, can we really quickly talk about Eugene Carroll? Yeah. Okay. 
So uh, writer E. Jean Carroll's civil trial against former President Donald Trump is currently happening. It's been happening for the last few weeks. She accused him of raping her in Bergdorf Goodman in New York in the mid-1990s. And um, the whole story of, of the alleged assault is really upsetting and and awful. But uh, the reason that she's suing Trump now is because when she came, she went public with the story, um, he came out against her with just all manners of just slurs and thuggery, total thuggery. It was really awful. Um, What what do you do you think she has a case? Do you think she's going to win, Alyssa? I totally think she has a case. It's hard. Now, she's suing him civilly because here in New York State a couple years ago, even outside the statute of limitations of a criminal uh, a criminal trial, he uh, you can now sue civilly. So she's suing him civilly. She can prove, you know, she has to prove that she was damaged by what he did to her. and By what he said. What, by, by what, what he, he said. said. By what he said. And, you know, I think that she has a lot of you know, she has a lot to stand on, but it's hard to tell. This is, this is, you know, his lawyer is unloading on her in the grossest ways that you can imagine. Um, so we'll have to see, but definitely sending her good vibes. I, I have to agree. And she is, she's, I hate, we, we talked about on the show, the word badass is a little bit grating, but she's yeah. a badass. She's I, badass. I mean, she's reclaiming her shit, you know, yep. in the, in the, tw- Twilight? Do we call it the twilight of your life in her golden years? I don't know. In her golden, she, we'll say her her golden years, like her goldenish golden, years. And yes. you have to hope that she gets this uh, vindication. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have an interview that you are not going to want to miss. So stick around. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast where we can guarantee no men will interrupt at any time. Our guest today is a writer, researcher, and journalist. She's the host of You Must Remember This, a history podcast diving deep into the forgotten stories of Hollywood. Karina Longworth, welcome to Hysteria. Hi, thanks for having me. So first of all, I'm a huge fan. I have been listening to your podcast nonstop for uh, weeks. So I feel wow, very parasocially in, engaged with the work that you've done. <laughs> We're really excited that you're here today. The most recent seasons of You Must Remember This focus on sexuality and gender dynamics as they play out on film in the 1980s and 90s and how resentment toward the advances of feminism of the 60s and 70s play out on the big screen. What are some of the most iconic examples of that resentment? And what's a horny 80s or 90s movie that you think deserves a second look and why? Um, okay, well, in terms of I- iconic examples of <laughs> resentment towards women, um, I think Fatal Attraction is probably the ultimate. Um, and then there's quite a few movies that were made um, dealing with uh, similar things that were made primarily because Fatal Attraction was a hit. Um, films like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Presumed Innocence. And you know, ultimately, you can file basic instinct with that as well. Although I make the case on the podcast that basic instinct kind of changes the game. Mm-hmm. How does basic instinct change the game? Well, the thing that was so powerful about Fatal Attraction and some of the other movies that were like that is that they reminded people who are watching it of their real lives. They felt like situations that could happen to them. And with Basic Instinct, everything is so heightened and so, like just enough steps away from people's actual reality that 
it's it you lose this kind of ripped from the headlines ripped from real life feeling and it becomes more of this erotic fantasy or erotic nightmare and as i said there were quite a few movies that were made that were able to kind of replicate the fatal attraction formula and and be very successful and when people tried to replicate the basic instinct formula it wasn't as commercially successful mhm um you were very uh I was surprised when I listened to your episode on Pretty Woman on how you seem to really have a lot of affection for the film. Can you talk a little bit about why you feel that kind of affection for a movie that that a lot of people find problematic? Yeah, I, I've always liked Pretty Woman. And, you know, as an adult, because um, it came out when I was nine years old and I first saw it when I was nine years old in a movie theater, and I've seen it many, many, many times since. And as I became an adult, um, I became aware of the fact that people found it problematic and that um, as somebody who considers myself, you know, <laughs> a supportive of, of women's rights, I guess, I'm also supposed to find it problematic. And I just never did. Um, and so when I was writing about it for this podcast for this season, I knew I was going to have to try to interrogate what people, um, what people thought about the movie that I didn't agree with and, and sort of figure out why I had never felt that way. Um, and so, you know, in, in watching it in, you know, recently in my early forties, I mean, I, I've, I've really been able to kind of deconstruct it as a version of a 1930s romantic comedy. Um, and a lot of movies of the 1930s would use things like sex work or transactional relationships kind of um, as, a, as a MacGuffin, as an excuse to get the story started or as a metaphor. And I think that the way it's used in Pretty Woman is more on that metaphoric um, level of using it as a way of talking about imbalances and transactional aspects between men and women who are not engaging in actual sex work. And I think that's really fascinating and really powerful and, and actually kind of universal. Cool. Um, okay, so right now you're talking about fatal attraction in, in this season. Um, fatal attraction, are you in the erotic 80s and 90s series? Um, fatal attraction is now being rebooted as a series on, uh, on, for, for streaming. And uh, we're also kind of in a moment where it feels like we're kind of experiencing some more backlash to gains that women have made. Um, do you think that movies are reflecting like what's coming in the future? Is another backlash politically coming? And can you see that in cinema? Well, I don't know if you can, you know, use the term backlash because I don't know if it's exactly the same as when Susan Faludi was writing about the backlash in, in her context. Um, but I think that whatever it is, it's already here. I mean, I, I don't, I, there hasn't been a time in, in my lifetime when women's bodies were less valued and we had less autonomy on sort of a federal level. Um, as far as whether movies are reflecting it, no, I don't think American Hollywood movies are reflecting it at all. I haven't seen the Fatal Attraction TV show. Um, generally, I think American mainstream movies are not really very interested in adult women at all. Um, hmm. TV is a little bit more so and sort of streaming movies a little bit more so. But um, generally, mainstream movies are interested in teenage boys. Hmm. Um, well, let's get into a little bit of how the sausage is made when it comes to your show. Um, so you did a season focusing on Gossip Queen's Hedda Hopper and Luella Parsons a few seasons back, and you talk about how the phrase behind the scenes actually is just a curtain that shows you another scene. Um, so in the spirit of trying to get some true behind the scenes, how do you select topics um, and, and what's your research process like for your podcast? It's really difficult to select a topic for a season because I, I know I'm going to have to be living with that material for usually about a year. 
Um, and because the research is so extensive, it has to be something where I know I'll be interested in it for that long. Um, and I, it's also has to, it has to be something where I know I can bring something to it um, and not just kind of be reiterating old stories that people know. Um, so it, it just takes a really long time. It takes a lot of reading and it takes um, kind of finding a kernel of information that I'm interested in and kind of teasing it out and going down rabbit holes until I figure out if there is kind of a new story there or a story that I can approach in a different way. Um, and then once I find that, um, I figure out, you know, how many episodes the story would sort of naturally be told over. And so I break it down into a season of however many episodes. And then I have to kind of commit to a date of when I'm going to do it so that I can give myself like a finite amount of time because otherwise I would just continue reading and writing forever. <laughs> uh, same. Um, <laughs> I, I was also curious listening to this season. Some of the movies that you talk about are like not good movies, um, but you give them, but you give them, you give them respect and attention and real estate and you interact, you respond to them and you engage with the material. So how many times do you have to watch every movie that you give your analysis on? Like how many times did you have to watch 10 and nine and a half weeks and uh, and fat the aforementioned Fatal Attraction? I mean, we have a difference of opinion because I think 10 and nine and a half weeks are great. But, um, <laughs> you know, I've I tried to I tried to stream it and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to like purchase this and then I'm going to probably end up on some kind of watch list because it's going to be the first movie that I've purchased in a really long time. Which one? And nine and a half weeks? Nine and a half yeah. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's a beautiful movie. Um, but... Um, as far as how many times I have to watch them, I mean, maybe twice. It depends on the movie. Um, some of them I, I've seen before and I have kind of um, a familiarity with and others I don't. You know, I definitely would watch it once to um, kind of figure out if I'm even going to include it in the show. And then maybe I'll watch it again, taking notes. And then sometimes I have to kind of like, you know, scroll through it again to pull clips for the podcast. Mm -hmm. So um, you talk a lot about stories behind famous people that maybe people in modern day aren't totally aware of. Like Clint Eastwood, I learned a lot about him from listening to you discuss him on your podcast. Um, in that spirit, who are the biggest assholes that Hollywood <laughs> and history have uh, given a pass to? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like, we have a different sense of what it means to be an asshole now than um, at, at different other points in history. Um, you know, men got away with a lot of things um, in a lot of different ways that they don't anymore. Um, and even this this story of Clint Eastwood that I talk about, where he kind of unceremoniously dumped his girlfriend, Sandra Locke, while she was directing a film and then kicked her out of their house, which ultimately led her to sue him twice. Um, you know, that kind of thing. The fact that it was happening and it was so public, it's really hard to imagine that happening today unless you, you know, compare it to something like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, one of the best and most popular series, in my opinion, that, uh, that you've done is Charles Manson's Hollywood, um, which... Uh, Caroline and I are both big fans of our producer. Um, I've always wondered if Manson was a manifestation of the most extreme versions of what makes fame, like a magnetic personality, a middling amount of talent and connections. Uh, but when those things didn't work out for him, he resorted to the most you know, dramatic and overwrought possible response. <laughs> if Dennis Wilson had been able to secure a record deal for Manson, would all those people be dead? Wow. Um, well, I agree with you on your read of Manson as sort of um, 
in some ways, he's emblematic of a lot of people who come to Hollywood, um, you know, with a dream. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I, I tried to frame that season because I, I'm not really interested in true crime. I'm not really interested in murderers. I was kind of chiefly interested in this idea that there is one connection between Doris Day and Charles Manson and explaining that whole story. And then, of course, Dennis Wilson um, is part of that as well. And I think his his music was incredible and he's a fascinating, tragic figure on his own. Um, but yeah, I think it's absolutely fair to say that if Charles Manson had gotten a record deal, he would have, um, you know, it's certainly like the there was a, a number of dominoes that had to fall in order to have all those people end up dead. And, um, you know, maybe one of those dominoes would not have knocked down all of the others, you know, if he had gotten what he thought he wanted. But at the same time, I mean, he was um, a person with del incredible delusions of grandeur. So, you know, what if he got the record deal and nobody cared about his album? Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. Maybe it could have been more people. Um, so from listening to your podcast, it seems like film is both your passion and your job. So what media do you spend your time on when you want to decompress and not think about work? <laughs> um, I you know, I wish that I had the ability to do that. But um, what I I actually like it get excited about watching old movies and, and thinking about um, all of this stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I, I guess like I watch some of the same shows that everybody else does, like, you know, beef and, and like, you know, new shows, but, and I don't know that I'm totally turning my brain off. I mean, I think I'm always kind of thinking about how art works and, and what it is saying about the world we live in, but that would be, I guess, closer to turning my brain off than when I watch, you know, pre-code movies from the 1930s on a Saturday night. <laughs> um, what, future topics could you see you must remember this tackling? I, can, I mean, I can't say for sure because right now I ha I don't have any and I, I'm still going to be working on erotic 90s pretty much until the rest of this year. But um, I recently read one of Julie Andrews's memoirs, um, Homework, and I find that her relationship with her husband, Blake Edwards, to be really fascinating. Um, so that like that could be in there. Um, I did this season on Polly Platt, who was married to Peter Bogdanovich and who was an a production designer and screenwriter and producer in her own right. And that was based on an unpublished, unfinished memoir that she had left behind when she died. And I would love to do anything um, like that again. You know, I, I get really excited by this, I, the, the idea of, of a piece of writing or a piece of information that um, hasn't been seen before, you know. So I'm kind of always on the hunt for something like that where I could take it and, and flesh it out and, and bring the historical context to it. Karina Longworth, thank you so much for taking the time, and we look forward to the rest of this season of You Must Remember This and future seasons. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love or, that for Viore. Is that, you know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. 
<laughs> five the, stars. No five, comment. 100% great. That's the type that's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are cuz you know like not everybody's the same. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring. And I don't show show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com. Enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, and this is another installment of Personal Political, the segment that takes things personally. Alyssa... When's the last time you were rejected? Well, if we're talking about by my cats, that's daily. Um, but other than that, you know, I think that I think 
2004 was my really bad last rejection, but 1994 was the worst of all time. It's funny to me that you remember your last rejection as happening in 2004 when you work like your day job is for is within I don't take that shit seriously. I can't. Oh, also, uh, antidepressants and SSRIs have helped. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get into that. Uh, let's bring in the rest of our panel, uh, both of whom are familiar with rejection and hopefully have better memories of it than <laughs> Alyssa Master Monaco. Our first panelist is helping to organize an event called Here for the Kids, which hopes to end gun violence across the states. For more info, go to Here for number four, thekids.com. She's also an actor in the upcoming film, You Hurt My Feelings, premiering May 26th. Michaela Watkins, welcome to Hysteria. Hi, thanks so much. I'm so happy to be back here in person. I know. It's just so meaningful. You've been globetrotting. Uh, I know, we've done it. Well, not just that. I mean, you know, I feel like I've just bookended the pandemic finally because I think we were, I was meant to come in and then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we had to shut it down. Yeah. And, we were like, we're temporarily shutting down. The yeah. Office. And then we tried this lame cocktail hour on, on <laughs> Zoom. Remember? That was, we, we gave it our best. <laughs> <laughs> we really remember, do you remember pandemic cocktail hours? Yeah. Like we were all doing that for uh, a while. Yeah. Imagine. I mean, now I think people are drinking on Zoom, but they're not mm-hmm. making a thing of it. Right. They're just doing it. <laughs> but um, um, thank you for plugging here for the kids because it's a it's a June 5th in Denver event and um, basically we are 25,000 women mostly white women led by black indigenous women of color um, brown women who are leading the way following the civil rights playbook basically the abolitionist uh, playbook for um, of slavery and we're, we're taking it to the guns because they've they're just out of control and they're the number one killer of kids. So that's why it's called Here for the Kids. Amazing. So, um, if you can sign up. And it's it's a movement. Keep supporting. You know, I I, I still am supporting every town. And, and it, Mom's Man, this is not a either or. This mm. is an and. Mm-hmm. This is a let's all come together. We all have the same goal, which is to save our kids. So are you going to go to Denver for I it? absolutely am going to Denver. And it's, by the way, a sit-in. It's not a, there's no marching, no chanting, no megaphones. It's I'm bringing my knitting. <laughs> I'm bringing a a chair. I'm bringing like white lady things, you know, <laughs> oat milk latte. Uh, I'm not going to wear Lululemon. Uh, that won't be happening. That'd be comfy but... though for sitting. Lululemon <laughs> you know is what? nice and stretchy. Okay, strike that. <laughs> I'm going to go get some Lululemon. Um, and basically, you know, we forget uh, white. Since uh, we have a panel of of white women today, I can say to us that, you know, we. We are the biggest voting block, and we forget our power. And so we have to put it to use and stop standing on the sidelines going, can you believe it? Now we mm. have to – we can get all our rights back. We can mm-hmm. – and gun violence, we can get our repro rights. Yeah. So many As things. As Samuel Alito said, we can always just vote, right? <laughs> well, it's we, more than voting like, <laughs> because we're going to – we have a direct action. We're going to demand um, uh, no more gun sales and a buy, issue a buyback. So we can do this. Amazing. This. But everybody has to show up. Yeah. I want to go to Denver. I want to do that. Oh, please, I want Mama, to sit please. down with some. I want oh. to sit with some knitting. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, rounding out our panel today, our next panelist is going on the road with her show, That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. They're performing in June and hitting San Francisco, Tempe, Denver, and L.A. For more info, go to thatsmesseduplive.com. Kara Clink, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you so much for having me back in person. Back this in is person. Exciting. I, I said the you... last time I was here in person, I had a new baby, and she just huh. turned four. What? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my. My God. Time. What is Time. it? Time. 
Um, I saw Carrie yesterday at the most yes. star-studded playground yes. in our neighborhood. Um, so I actually met an actress at the playground yesterday. Well, we had met before, and I was like, you know, I was just talking about you because I'd love to have you on my podcast. It's about Law and Order. <laughs> you SVU. saw her yesterday. I like booked a guest at the playground yesterday. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so we live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of like parents who had kids after 35. Excellent. You know, like working in. How dare you? I know. Just <laughs> super. I mean, that sounds gross. But- Going. <laughs> well, it's a lot of people who are like Hollywood adjacent, mm-hmm. but not necessarily like the flashiest people. And yesterday I saw an actor from How to Get Away with Murder at the playground yeah. with her beautiful child. And she was really dressed down, but I was like, I know. Who <laughs> just you <are."> like us. <laughs> no. Getting away with murder is just like us. I know, I know. And then I saw like an influence, a really famous influencer with her two children. Um, she was super nice and she was just like not wearing any makeup and she looked just gorgeous. And I was like, oh God, I can't come to this <laughs> playground anymore. Everyone. <laughs> It's too glamorous. It's like they should put a red carpet in the entrance yes. to the playground because it's really, that's really funny. Okay. Today we're going to talk about something that I think all of us except not Alyssa Master Monaco are pretty familiar with as people. <laughs> Must as, be great to be Alyssa. Yeah. I was kidding, by the way. <laughs> well, we're talking about rejection. There was an article in the New York Times about, right now it's like college letter season, mm-hmm. right? And people are getting into their dream college or getting rejected by their dream college. Mm. and. When I was in high school, what we used to do was just not talk about it ever again. But now the kids are having like rejection parties. Oh yes, where they're where they're having like cakes that are like I didn't get into Stanford (laughs) or you know or I didn't get into UC Irvine or whatever. (sighs) Um, And they're they're kind of taking back control. And um, I think that that's kind of beautiful in its own way because I don't know that I could do that with run-of-the-mill rejections that I suffer from day to day. Alyssa, I would love to hear the story of your big 2004 rejection and um, how you feel about it today. Uh, So just to be clear, in 1994, I was one of those kids who got like 10 rejection letters on the same day. (laughs) Um, And you know what? Here's the thing about rejection. I'm always like, great. If I had gotten into Cornell Brown or Georgetown, would I be the person I am today? No, I'd probably be an asshole. So I turned out for the better. Georgetown um, rejected me too, 2000- Alyssa. What's up? Me too. I didn't oh. even apply. Fucking, <laughs> fuck the Hoyas. Uh, and I, fuck them Hoyas. And, and, when I met, and when I met Dan Pfeiffer, I was like, oh, you went to Georgetown, didn't you? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, I was like, well, I went to UVM and smoked a lot of pot, and I'm still here next to you. Um, (laughs) See? 2004, we had just lost the Kerry campaign, which was not like rejection. See, I'm also very clear about like the difference between losing and rejection. Mm. But I was unemployed, and I'm like, what am I going to do? And I was in the middle of this like real competitive like job hunt. Like there were like three people up for this job to be the political director of something Bono was doing. <laughs> and I had made it to the end. It was like one of two and they they ditched me and I was devastated. Also very poor, had no money, Ooh. totally unemployed. And I was really hanging my hat on this. But then I ended up working for Barack Obama. So yeah. it was kind of okay. Whee! But that one was, re- that one really like wounded Wounded Being rejected me. by and Bono mm-hmm. wounded you? Was uh, It was 
It was well, yeah, because I thought I was better. I mean, you know, you, first of all, you are better than Bono, and uh, oh yeah, him I'm too. A- Not just the guy who beat me. <laughs> so was it traumatic when Apple just dropped that whole YouTube album on your phone without you asking? Honestly, I felt targeted. <laughs> I felt targeted, Kara. <laughs> oh my God, uh, there's there's an old joke that we uh, we're. I mean, our last name is Ryan, but we're not big YouTube fans in my at the house where I grew up. And there's an old joke. What's the difference between Jesus and Bono? What? Jesus doesn't think he's Bono. (laughs) 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 Oh, we're going to get some angry hate mail from very, very sincere, earnest YouTube YouTube (laughs) fans. And I'm sorry, uh, that band sucks. Um, Okay, McKay. I know, I know. (laughs) They're bad. They're bad. Uh, I can't. I I can't. Hard disagree. I can't. Wait, there's not like a couple songs you think are good? There's a couple songs that are good. Oh, The City of Blinding Lights is like Okay, well, I think, okay, here's another. I also think the Red Hot Chili Peppers suck. They've just written the same song over and over again. Some versions of that song have been good. The first, when I saw them go on tour in in 92 or 3, I guess, maybe 2, like, oh, are the, you at early Lollapalooza, Michaela? Oh, I was at the first Lollapalooza. Ah! Oh, my God. The first God. one where Jane's Addiction headlines. Oh, my God. Yeah. Girl, you know it. Yes, this woman belongs in a museum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anyway, we're going we're gonna to get back on track talking about rejection, but I reject I reject. Bono. Yeah, I was like, this podcast is just Aaron rejecting bands that <laughs> yeah. were popular in the 90s. <laughs> I, I got a lot of, I've got a lot of opinions, and I'm going to share all of them right now. Um, Michaela. I'm very interested in hearing your experience with rejection and your attitudes around rejection because when I think about acting and comedy Mm -hmm. and doing like live stuff, it just feels like such a vulnerable profession. It's like, um, it's, it's, it's seated in rejection. I mean, basically, like, acting and performing are, rejection is the baseline, and then when you get something, that's that's the unique part, you know what I mean? Did you have to, like, reprogram your brain? The unique part isn't getting rejected. The unique part is getting a job. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I'm so comfortable, or I should say I was not comfortable, but I was expecting to be rejected because, you know, the old adage, like, when a door closes, a window opens, it's like, so I didn't get the job, but I got in front of the casting director. Um, My biggest rejection, to me, the one that was on such a public display was when I didn't get asked back for my second season uh, of SNL after a year that I thought I, I was good, you know? Yeah, you had a lot of, like, clippable—I remember seeing you and your sketches were in a lot of—a lot of times you were, like, featured—like, oh, check out what happened this week on SNL, and it was always, like, you were— in it mix. was very shocking. Yeah, it was. It was it very was, shocking to those of us that watched the show. It was like my family was like quoting your sketches. We were like, "Wait, where did she go? What happened?" <laughs> oh yeah, the blogger. How did that happen? Like, how did they? How did they let you know that you weren't being asked back in an unkind way? Oh um, no. Yeah. In in uh, you know it was, it, it was pretty awful. Everybody got their contracts renewed, and I didn't, and Casey Wilson didn't. And she called me, and I had no idea that people had gotten their contracts renewed. So she called and said, did you get your contract renewed? And I said, no. And she said, everybody else did. And I was like, uh, oh. Uh, and then that pit, you know. Yeah. And then my manager, of course, called, and they said, oh, no, we love Michaela. Of course we're having her back. And I thought, well, why, why are you doing this? This is unkind. 
And then I heard that they hired two new women, you know, brunettes 10 years younger than me and mm-hmm. um they Mm-mm-mm. they are very they were very um who who were these brunettes they were very <laughs> snl had like 14 men and four women so i i knew when they hired two new women they weren't going to have you know six seven women because yeah. they just didn't i mean that's just not how the population works it is no. mostly it is 14 men to four women <laughs> yeah in general so i thought well i'm out you know, and I didn't think Casey would be. And uh, I didn't even hear directly from Lauren. I heard from him via my manager. He told my manager. Mm. <gasps> and, you know, he would tacky. He, but yeah. after saying tacky, we want her back, of course. And that it's like that. Yeah. So it was really drawn out all summer. And I remember I ran into Rachel Dratch, who wasn't on the show anymore. And she was like, this is what they do. Ugh. And I, she, she said, it's like you're they're cats and you're a mouse and they just bat you around. And then when it seems like you're dead, they're like kind of then they like, hey, wake th- up. then they renew your contract. <laughs> like, oh um, and so I thought, OK, maybe they're just toying, fucking with me. I don't know what Ugh. it is. And so anyway, long story short. You know, it was my friend said, are you on Twitter? I said, no. And she said, you better get on Twitter right now because you're trending. And I said, oh, no, that's okay." (sighs) Boy, was that the dumbest thing I ever did, Um, because that would have been the moment to join Twitter, you know, like right when it had just started. And, you know, Um, anyway, but but I I felt so embarrassed and I felt so ashamed and I felt like the people who um, had watched the show the people who didn't watch the show, knowing I didn't come back, would think, oh, she didn't come back because she's not funny. And the people who did watch the show, and if they thought I was funny, they would think, oh, she must be an asshole. Mm. And so I just mm. thought on the public view, I, I I don't look like a winner here, you know? Mm. And there was so much kindness and so much love. Um, but what happened was I was depressed and I came home and I was on employment uh, or I, I filled out an application for unemployment to the degree that I did an audition and I always like to reuse paper. I did an audition for this really, really bad medical show where like she had a hematoma and, and then got hit by a boat and then was like dying and then <laughs> went in a coma and then like her, you know, it was turned out she was having an affair and so we tried to kill her. It was like everything that could have happened happened was to this Was it days of our lives? <laughs> so it was like, it's by it was I got it I got the part but anyway I but I realized because I very this is to deal with rejection after every audition I very ceremoniously throw out my uh, sides my 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 audition papers and when I threw them out after the audition I saw in the back of it I had printed the EDD form (laughs) 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 the the unemployment form and so when I'm standing there holding my my papers the producers are watching my unemployment form on the other side oh my god that's the unemployment form should be on the other side of every audition side (laughs) Like just you're gonna need it. <laughs> but but to, to to put a fine point on this, I got together with a friend of mine. We were both depressed, unemployed, and I felt very embarrassed and ashamed. And we wrote a pilot just to see if we could. And it got picked up and it went for a season and we were executive producers on a series. <laughs> and I didn't even know I could write. So you know what I'm saying? A door closes, a window opens. Yeah, that's Yeah, cool. and both you and Casey have had amazing <laughs> careers. Yeah, and now so. I really love my career. I and a lot of the people career. that have only been one season people on SNL have done really great things. Yeah, I think if you have grit, and I think we come into the world with it, 
or we have to develop it. But I think if, if you haven't, de- if you didn't come into the world with it, please develop it because I, I, I love my career right now. I love it so much, and I'm so grateful, grateful, grateful for it. And I think the people who do one season on SNL go and do other things because they are they don't want to be remembered as the person who had one season on SNL and nothing else. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Kara, same question for you. When's what was your like biggest rejection? You're comfortable talking about? And oh how did my it, gosh, how did it play out? I mean. It's not even like a comedy thing because like Michaela said, like for me, I auditioned for so much stuff in New York, I remember, and I just would forget about it the minute the audition was over. I was like, I, I can't think about it because I'm not getting any of this stuff. And then if it, somebody calls me and says, you got it, it's like, what a fun surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's like, I feel like a self-protection thing you do from rejection. But a huge rejection for me, I am not athletic at all, but in where I grew <gasps> up, it was like you had to do sports and I played freshman field hockey, and then I tried out for junior varsity field hockey sophomore year, and I didn't make the team. And it was like, I just remember, like, I'm getting, like, a full body, like, sensation of, like, lying in my twin bed at home being like, ah, this is so embarrassing. Like, I can't believe I got cut from JV. Like, and I don't care about sports. (laughs) I'm not good at them, and I don't care. I don't know why. It just felt like such a everybody knew who got cut from stuff, and it was like, yeah. Oh, no. Kara, Kara, I got cut from JV Field Hockey. Thank you. I knew this. I knew that. And I that knew was we had terrible. That. And I will say that was humiliating. Yeah. Humiliating. Yeah. Your name's not up on the piece of yeah, paper. Yeah. And I don't know why I even, it's like looking back, I wish I could have told my younger self like, oh, you don't care about sports and sports are not going to matter at all. Like you're not going to play them in college. You're not going to like, you know, but. Did you ever Oof. think that you were going to play them in college? Or was no. this just like a random thing that you were like, I'm going to waltz right in? And- I think it was a big part of the social like and like the structure of school was just yeah. like you're on the field hockey team or you're on the softball team or you're on the volleyball team. And like I was like, what team am I on now? You know, what am I? And then it's like, oh, I'm going to like work on the newspaper and be the editor of the yearbook and do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. But yeah, I remember like my my mom trying to like talk me off the ledge about it, and I was just like, "You don't understand. I didn't make field hockey." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man. Well, because remember back then, field hockey, you went away to camp. There was like yeah. field hockey camp over the summer, and it was you traveled sorority. with the boys' soccer team, and yeah. you went to. It was a whole thing. That was a uh, and field hockey I, was kind of like that's still fresh. Yeah, and field hockey was kind of like the cool girl, hot girl sport, Uh at least where I went to school. And so I was like, I'm not one of those people, you know? (laughs) Like, I was like, I've I've been told I'm not hot nor cool. So... Yeah. Neither hot nor cool. Oh, okay. I just remembered something. You just reminded me. I got cut from my theater program at at, at Boston University. (laughs) What? Yeah, this is major. This is, I went to an acting conservatory and after sophomore year, they do cuts. You can still graduate because they started something called theater studies. So I did, but I, I was cut. I'm one of two or three people in my class who are acting still. Oh I'm my of gosh! The, uh, only wow. Of, wow. of everybody, and 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 now the university keeps asking me to, you know, come back and be part of it. I'm like, oh, now you want me? Like, yeah. Um, but but I just I only say this so that your listeners can hear. Like, you don't know in the moment that rejection is not a be all end all. It's gonna feel like it, but it is not. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It absolutely is not. You have no idea what. It's just part of your becoming. That's yeah. all. I think part of it for – so there's, like, professional rejection, which I think that there are, like, concrete steps where, like, 
I tend to try to take my sadness or disappointment and channel it into something else. And that has led to me, I think, being able to do a bunch of different things to make money, which is like good because, you know, when we have stuff like an implosion of digital media and a writer's strike happening at the same time, I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I know how to po- I have a podcast because I learned how to do that in on the heels of something mm. that didn't work out for me. Um, so but I think that something that's a little bit harder to deal with is like social rejection. And mm-hmm. I feel like the one the things that stung me the most throughout my life have been like being feeling socially rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. in, you know, everybody has that experience, that formative experience in middle school or it's usually the eighth or ninth grade, Ooh, I think, for girls. Seventh. Oh, seventh. Se- yeah. Sixth. Seventh tenth for grade, me was a nightmare. Tenth grade. Sixth grade. Right. Mm-hmm. I think anywhere between, yeah, six and 11. A friend drop. Yeah. 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 You come back from summer vacation yeah. and suddenly your friends aren't your friends anymore. Yeah. Or there's one person who you kind of always didn't really get along with and they're the the new queen bee and they're having sleepovers and everybody is invited to the sleepover except it's you. Horrific. And then like it's a it's, and then so you're you're just very like you feel very rejected and you don't know what you did wrong and your old best friend is now the best friend of this person. Yes. Because and then, Preach. you know, and, and there aren't very many people <laughs> in your class. And so you have to be friends yeah. with the weird Christian girls and you join the cross country team <laughs> uh, yeah. because you're or too the bad girls and yeah. that's when you start the bad the, the bad, bad things, stuff. Well, the bad I, j- stuff. I joined the Christian girls because they did like lock-ins and they had like youth group sleepovers. And I was like, well, I'll be included if I <laughs> Jesus doesn't reject anybody. Um, <laughs> if they lock the door, if they lock the doors, they can't make me leave. Yeah, they can't. <laughs> this is a church, man. You gotta, you gotta, you can't reject me. I joined the bad girls and got felt up. Oh, All no. right. Yeah, so, yeah. Man, I didn't Two know. roads diverged in a wood over here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like really, and you know, it's funny because now that girl, who's now a grown-up person, she and I are like friendly. You know, she's got her life back in, you know, the Midwest, and I've got my life out here, and we're friends on socials, and she seems like a really nice person. Like, we're not the same people we were yeah. in eighth grade, but in my mind, that is, it's just such a scarring experience that- when I interact with her now, there's like a bunch of scar tissue that I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, you're fine. Like this, mm-hmm, yeah. I have to remind myself right. that you're not in eighth grade anymore and this is actually fine <sighs> and she's nice and you like her. Um, and uh, it's it's like, it's just kind of a mind fuck. And then, you know, there are a couple times in college, like, you know, I went to a school where with a lot of field hockey players, if mm, you will. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> and my section of my dorm my freshman year had a lot of field hockey types. Uh, a lot of, like, ponytails with ribbons in them, mm-hmm. you know, like that sort of type of person. And I didn't – that wasn't my – I'd never, like, been to a country club. I didn't know. You know that's not that's not me. But I, um, I, I felt like I wanted to be a part of that group because that seemed to be, like, what – how everybody at my school acted. And if I wanted to be successful at my school, I had to be a part of that group. And it just, like, didn't work out. And I kind of realized when there was sort of, like, you know, because freshman year, there's always this weird, like, you, your friends, your first two weeks of freshman year, you look back on it, and you're like, it's weird that I hung out with that person. Yeah, totally. For, like, a week, <laughs> we were best friends. Um, but, like, you know, once the chips kind of fall, I ended up finding a group that – I was able to be much more authentic with and there we're all like great and we're all still in touch with each other but it was like painful that reshuffling was like mm. very painful that happened to me right before I turned 30 I had dated someone for like 5 years and we broke up and the breaking up wasn't the worst part it was that he was like very cool and everybody loved him and I just got dropped like a oh. hot potato 
in Washington, D.C. People were having parties next door to where I lived, and I was not invited. People who I thought were my friends were like, oh, no, 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 no. We're inviting him, so we can't invite you. And he was actually like, where's Alyssa? Like, why wasn't Alyssa invited? Uh. And they're like, oh, no, 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 because it's like weird, and we choose you. And he and he was the one who's like, you're deranged. But it <sighs> fucked me up so much. It's it's how I ended up getting my first cat, Shrum, because I was so deeply lonely and didn't know what to do. Alyssa, that same yeah. Fucking thing. What happened? <gasps> no. Yes. It's fucked up. Yeah. It was so, it was so, I was sick. I was the thinnest I ever was because I was so broken, truly, from how everybody just turned I don't their think backs I've ever picked the man when I've, friends have broken up. I don't think I've ever picked the man. Yeah, me neither. Well, <laughs> yeah. DC's a fucking shitty place. I had the She's audacity a- to break up with the like drummer of the, the band, like the one cool band in our sort of cool band in our school, high school. And I had the audacity of, of not getting back together with him after he'd been cheating on me. And I was persona non grata. What? Yeah. It's a br- brutal. It was, I can feel it. I still get hot thinking about it. I was so devastated. Yeah. If you, devastated. The monologues, and then I got rejected the monologues I've written in my head. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The the st- the things, the, the dressing down your mirror has received. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alyssa, I cut you off. Please. No, I was just going to say, and then I was subsequently rejected by everybody on Match.com. <laughs> oh, man. Online dating. I was like, this is not for me. I'm getting a cat. Oh, wow. That is, that is a modern day rejection machine. I yeah. Bet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I missed it, but I, I, I bet. met my husband on a on a dating app. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, OK Cupid. I met him on OK Cupid. Um, I have a lot of friends that have gotten married from OK Cupid. Yeah, but if I were like, I feel like dating itself, if you're just like, I just want to date. I just want to mm. casually date. Uh, I think that kind of the younger generation is like, this fucking sucks and we hate it mm. and we don't want to date or be around people at all. I think that social rejection, <laughs> I guess this is one way that it that ends up being positive, uh-huh. is that when I have felt rejected by groups of people when, like, you know, sometimes in the past I've, like, run toward another group of people or run toward another person or run toward a relationship. But the most uh, productive I've ever been is when I've focused on, like, no, I'm going to be okay with myself. You know, I don't really actually need to hang around. Like, why do I need a group of eight people to go out to bars? It takes, like, you know, 10 times longer to do anything if you're trying to do it in a group. So I just kind of, like, figured out how to do things by myself. And now... I am really, I hate everyone and I don't like doing anything with anybody ever. Um, (laughs) So the moral of the story is do less than what I've done. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that just developing the skills to appreciate being alone and understand like that you don't need to be around other people at all and you can get your happiness that way is something that can develop from like social Mm. rejection I think there's Uh, also social media rejection of course which when someone that is is like really cool follows you and then a couple days later they don't follow you anymore there's that there's (laughs) like you put up a video that you probably think is cool I mean I'm so glad this didn't exist when I was younger because while you know being dumped by your best friend in sixth grade was it was hell I don't know what what if you're like put up a picture you know a video of you singing and you're you know and everybody comments that you're a total idiot loser yeah i I mean that's god that's awful you know it's like wait i put myself out there and it was rejected at such a tender age yeah well speaking of tender ages carrie you've got a little little girl who's like getting into school age and how are you handling watching her 
start to like understand rejection. It is weird because she's she she will say something like, "Oh, so and so wouldn't play with me today. They just said they didn't want to play with me," and I'm like, "Oh God, like it hurts your little heart." But like, I'm just kind of like, sometimes people don't want to play with you, and sometimes you won't want to play with other people. And I I don't know. I kind of just try to like keep it very light with her and. And um, give her the tools to, like, redirect her focus and not get too bogged down in projection. It's, like, another thing, too. It's, like, my daughter is, if I don't say so myself, very cute. Oh, but she's, she's very adorable. Very she's cute. very, like, verbal. And people are like, you should put her in acting and stuff. I'm like, first of all, I don't want to be in audition rooms as a mom. <laughs> I don't want to be doing that. <laughs> I mean, but I'm also, like, that rejection so early. Like, I don't yeah. know if I can expose her to all of that, you know? Like, oh, Yeah. The only so. people that seem to not we d- we did an episode on nepo babies and and the pro nepo baby argument is that they've actually grown up around seeing what the industry is and what it does mm-hmm. and so they might have a more evolved ability to handle the rejection that's involved in it. I don't know. I used to babysit for a pretty famous Nepo baby, and she went right from Yale to HBO. So <laughs> I don't know if there's a ton of rejection for the Nepos. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is something that I feel like I put myself in my shoe, like my mom's shoes of like when I call her and I'm like, you have to come pick me up because like everybody kind of ditched me at like at, like going to town or whatever. We used to just like walk around my town <laughs> and I'd be like, how am I going to handle that? And it's, I don't have a plan yet. You know, yeah. I, I got to like read more blogs or whatever. <laughs> Alyssa, you've got a spirited niece. Uh, have, yeah. Has she ever had to deal with rejection? Like what's her, what's her tack? I'm not sure she has, and if she has, I'm not sure she knows it. <laughs> she she is a saucy little minx who likes to say, wee oui, wee, oui, you annoying. And I said, I said, well, maybe you're being uncool. She goes, no. <laughs> oh my God. Do we, my niece, okay, so I have a I have one niece who is like four almost. Um, and there is this is a very funny story about their daycare. So there is a bully at their daycare that was like mean to Ooh, all the we kids. had a bully at the daycare. Yeah, there was a bully at the daycare and all the parents were informed like, hey, there's a bully at the daycare. <laughs> and uh, the only two kids that the bully wasn't bullying were my nephew and my niece. And the nephew is a little bit older than the niece. And um, my sister-in-law asked the nephew, like, you know, why Why do you think that you weren't being bullied? And my nephew was like, well, because I'm very kind to others and I and I don't, you know, I'm always nice and whatever. And I always play with him. And she's like, okay. And asked the niece, why, why do you think he left you alone? And she goes, because I'm too powerful. <laughs> I'm yes, not. Yes, girl. Yeah. I'm I not, love that. Not she quite, gets it. She gets it. I feel like. I feel like that's sort of maybe a way to wrap up this conversation, which we could continue to have for, like, hours. Yes. But think, I have more rejection stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have so many, but it's just, I mean, it's the it's the line of work that we do. If you're a creative person in any way, yeah. it's just what happens. You just get rejected, and, and it's just... It's just part of life, but you just have to remember you're too powerful. And it gets easier. (laughs) It really gets easier. It does. Because the reason I think it gets easier is the older you get and the more you live your life, there's more yeses than no's. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Like you, you've lived through more yeses, whether it's relationships or anything. There's been yeses, mm-hmm. so many yeses. Mm-hmm. So like and the nose, the the yeses start to stack up and outnumber the nose is is what it is. And also in hindsight, how much did the rejection actually matter? Yeah, mm-hmm. like yes. in the minute, in the in the moment, it stung. But when you look back on it, you're like, all right, you know, we moved on. 
Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good note to end on. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. We. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, The Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color-founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go. And Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back. There are no announcements for the class on this week's episode of Hysteria, so we're just going to get right into Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty, a.k.a. Sandy Petty. Alyssa, do you want to go first? Sure. So, Erin, earlier you spoke to Karina, and she talked about Fatal Attraction. So Fatal Attraction has been rebooted as a series on Paramount+. And I was like, you know what? Lizzie Kaplan, love her. Amanda Peet, Pacey, a.k.a. Joshua Jackson. I'm like, I'm going to get into it. What a cast. I'm in. Okay. Here's the thing. Only three episodes are out. The first two are really not exciting. But the third one, I was starting to doze off on the sofa. And I'm kind of in and out of sleep. And all of a sudden, I look and I was like, oh, I, I guess the affair has started. 
And then I'm like, he brought the dog on the affair. And it enraged me like nothing I have ever seen. He brought his family dog to the beach while he was having an affair with Lizzie Kaplan, a.k.a. Alex. And I thought it was like, obviously, he's a fictional character. But I thought about it for hours. I couldn't sleep because of it. I'm like, what a betrayal. Why didn't he just bring the kid while he was at it? Like, the family dog is asleep on this woman's floor while they have movie sex. And I was like, this is absolutely, I may not be able to go on because this is such an affront. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know how a lot of people were able to have secret families because DNA testing didn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like someone like that is allowed to have bring their dog to the affair because we haven't yet developed the technology to get dogs to talk. Like, he better hope that we never figure out how dogs It was, But does he think that the dog didn't see what was happening, that the dog wasn't traumatized? I just, if anyone's out there having an affair, you best not be bringing your dog. Do you think (laughs) dogs understand, like, monogamy? I don't, I think that he understands that he lives with people. Yeah. And that this was not his lady. Okay. Right? This was not his lady. He usually does that kind of wrestling move on a different lady, what's going on On a different lady. On a different lady. And I felt, uh, I just really felt that that whole, that whole scene was in very poor taste. Well, but the dog was like relaxed though and sleeping, right? And comfortable. The dog can kind only of. sleep to the sound of humping. <laughs> I was it's like, mm. I just felt bad for the dog. That this, dog's going to need therapy. This is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's that's a good. I feel petty. I think uh, that is is probably the least problematic thing about the the Fatal Attraction franchise. I always oh, think I yeah, can't love for sure. Alyssa's brain more, and then and then you you top it. Oh, my God. Um, Okay, so I want to – I'm going to go next. Um, This is – I feel petty slash sanity corner. It's like a very petty thing that I find, like, very fun. It's bringing me joy. So there's a new law in Utah uh, that requires porn sites to verify the ages of users before they enter the website. Um, Apparently, it's it's more than just, like, if you go to, like, drizzly.com and you need to be like, yeah, I'm 21. Like, it's more involved than Mm -hmm. that at Utah. So in response, Pornhub has disabled websites for people located in Utah. <gasps> no mm. porn for you. Yeah, no porn for Utah. Uh-huh. Um, but what's really, really That's why funny, you can't have nice things. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so Utah is is, you know, famously very right-wing and religious. And um, they, you know, they they there's a video if you are in Utah and you look at Pornhub that comes up and is like, hey, you know, this is your government's like not, we're not gonna do this. Um, which is very funny. So here's a funny epilogue to that, right? You guys know what a VPN is? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So according to Google Trends, uh, the state looking up VPN the most, Utah. Yeah. They're all trying to disguise their uh, their IP addresses so they can still access their free streaming online pornography. That is amazing. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny because, like, who says that old white guys can't learn new technology. Or they're, girls. Or yeah. girls. They're mm-hmm. all learning about VPNs now in Utah. Yeah. And so... I mean, it, I feel bad for Salt Lake because, you know, they're cool. They are cool. There's a lot of cool in Salt Lake. They have like a... 
Don't they have a lesbian mayor or something even? I'm not sure about the city government of Salt Lake City, but I will say that it is a, a, a great place to visit. It's got a cute little downtown. Mm-hmm. Got, it's, it's nice. I like yeah. Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, they deserve their free streaming porn, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's like they already have weak drinks, right? Like can't they only put like one shot of alcohol in every yeah. drink? Like it's yeah. very measured. It's like let them, that's let them why, watch porn. That's honestly why Utah is one of my favorite places to go on vacation because like I come back from vacation and I feel so healthy because it's like <laughs> – it's just a huge pain in the ass to drink, you know? So it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to do other things like hike and, and like, you know, look at the sunset or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and not watch porn. Right. Um, read the Book of Mormon. Yeah, know? read the Book of Mormon. They have that in hotels there. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, they're really serious about it. They apparently believe that it's real. I know. When, when you go to Utah and you, I, I asked one person, I was like, oh, um, do you know where there's a coffee shop nearby? And they said, well, because coffee's not a thing. Really, they can drink. They coffee, can but drink. Some coffee. people are like, Ooh. but they were kept saying. But have you been to? They kept trying to send me to the everywhere I went where I asked where something was. They kept trying to send me to the big church. What? Yeah, the big one on the oh hill. Oh my god! You know that they're all going crazy about a soda chain, like a fast food restaurant that serves soda in Utah. I swear to God, I'm gonna have to. We'll have to talk more about this offline. But yeah, they're probably right about all of it. It's a real. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. Um, All right, Kara, Sanity Corner, or I feel petty. Uh, You know, I feel like the last few times I've come on, I've really done um, sanity, and so let's do petty today. Um, I was just talking to another crooked employee before I came in here, Hallie, lovely person, and I was telling her about how there is, um, there's just a woman who her daughter is in my daughter's class and she is like a chef. So obviously she finds a lot of joy in preparing food, but she posts these bento boxes of what she sends to school (laughs) with her child and they are out of control. (laughs) I'm like, your child's eating pickled cornichons, like what, or, or like pickled beets and cornichons and like, there's some kind of purple powder all over one of the things, and it's like pea powder and moon root and all this. I'm like, don't. Moon root. I'm like, don't ever sit next to my child. She eats peanut butter and jelly every goddamn day. It's all she wants. If I gave her something else, she would revolt. Like, and it's literally like, you know, a little bit of like tahini, like all this stuff. I'm like, my kids won't try anything. And the <laughs> fact that you're just shoving this in my face on your Instagram account, which I can choose to follow or not, <laughs> I just am feeling very petty about people trying to give their kids gourmet bento box lunches. Just cut it out. Get down here with the rest of us <laughs> yeah. with the GIF. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I see these like it things is that are like, here's, to- here's some suggested toddler foods and it's like stewed carrots and it's like she's not going Ugh, to eat and that. And then it's like cut everything into shapes. It's like who has time for this shit? I barely have time <laughs> to like microwave stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's real. I'm, I'm there But then you. again I also have this super picky child and maybe her child eats freaking foie gras and I'm just like a jerk. So, you <laughs> I know. I would say if the child is eating foie gras that child might be a jerk. Yeah. That and is, that's, that's, that's pricey. Right. I'm not getting my kids into yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> Also, okay, uh, Michaela, bring us home. Sanity Corner okay. or I Feel Petty. Well, this is actually really going to bring us home because I'm going to go full circle. So where, as Alyssa's talking about the dog in uh, Fatal Attraction. So um, have you all ever contacted a pet psychic before? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. My dogs, um, neither Fred nor I could bring our dog uh, to an affair because um, they're not fit for society. One of my dogs um, is so loyal to us that he kind of hates everybody else. 
And the other, um, but mostly men, he hates men. And the other one um, hates women. So they've <laughs> made our lives very stressful, but we, but they're so awesome and they have real personalities. And I always feel like they're trying to tell me something. So I, I told this to a friend and she said, I know the best pet psychic, which I've been down this road many times. Wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm so into this, Michaela. Keep going. I'm so into this. Um, let me tell you something. I've been down this road. I've been duped. Last person, I was like, wow, all this stuff is pretty spot on and realized every single thing he said was on my Instagram page. <laughs> so I just thought, okay, let's let's do this. No, she said, no, you know, I, I'm telling you. I talked to this woman who basically starts the whole thing with, what do you want? And I said, oh, okay, this is not like very touchy-feely. And I said, well, I just feel like, what did you say? I said, I feel like my dogs are trying to, your dogs aren't trying to tell you anything. They're not trying to tell you a goddamn thing. You already know what they're trying to tell you. What? I don't know. One of them has, I don't know, borderline personality disorder. The, the other one, I, the other one is like, she'll, she'll get better. But, you know, the other, the other this is you. I don't know. Your guides are telling me right now they need medication or uh, muzzle. <laughs> and I was like... Thank you so, so much for all this incredible insight. And then she just only wanted, she's like, but they're mirrors. What are you so anxious about? I'm like, oh, Jesus, here we go. So I, now we're talking about me. And she was so nasty to me. She was so mean. And I was like, this is hilarious. But also, I can't believe I'm at the end of 20 minutes. I ended up paying this woman, I kid you not. $110 to get yelled at and to be told that my dog, nothing like, okay, my guides, my guides are saying medication. Okay, great. So, um, look, I'm going to look into medication is my point, but I just, there, I don't pet psychics like what, what the fuck was that? And also why do I keep going back to that? Well, I have never one time had a, uh, illuminating experience. I don't know. People tell me they have. And when they tell me, I'm like, yeah, you knew that. Like, do you, you <laughs> just paid, you know, there's no, there was nothing, nothing new for me to be. I just wanted them to be like, well, here's the deal. <laughs> you know, you chose your dog and your dog chose you because you have to play out some karmic ritual that, and here's how it is. And they're saying, if you just go get that red stuffy, then they'll just be so happy and stop, you know, attacking people at the door. That would be great. <laughs> Never has that happened. Anyway, they're bullshit. I'm over pet psychics. Okay. I love psychics. I love intuitives, but pet psychics can go fuck. What about your friend that said this was the best pet I, psychic? She was like, Every, everything's a gift. Now you know. <laughs> now you know you don't like pet She's psychics. She's like, I forgot <laughs> to tell you I love getting yelled at. That's like, my oh, thing. Right. Now I know I don't love pet psychics. Oh Thank my you. God. Yeah, what a, what a gift that she gave you with getting yelled at. Oh, that, that would be an amazing character to write like a really mean psychic. I told my friend and she's like we're writing this a yeah. mean pet psychic who's like why are you even here why are you coming to my business no but I said I said I said okay fine if we're talking about me you know how's this going with like the oh you don't you know like some of my outreach stuff or activism she's like you don't need to do that somebody else can do that I'm like that is so antithetical <laughs> oh my god activism so helpful oh man that was this on, uh, by chance on April 1st because it would be a funny April Fool's joke if you were a psychic no it was on May 1st. 
Oh. It was on May Day. Oh, no. So it's fresh. Yeah. The wound is fresh. So fresh. Oh, my goodness. Well, that is all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Kara and Michaela, thank you so much for coming by. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you to Karina Longworth for the great interview. And listeners, thank you for listening. There will be more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. Hey, it's Erin. I have a podcast recommendation for you. From KCRW, Bodies is a medical mystery podcast with a feminist twist. It's a show that tackles why women and other people with marginalized genders are so often left in the dark when it comes to understanding their own bodies. In each episode of Bodies, we meet someone with a question about their health, and we follow them on their quest for answers. In this new season, we hear from people who are discovering their neurodivergence, facing down a postpartum mental health disorder, and preparing for their own death. Bodies episodes are intimate and thoughtfully produced. The show has been called life-changing by many listeners of the first three seasons. If you have a body and you're trying to figure out how to keep it alive and well in this patriarchal world, you'll want to listen to Bodies from KCRW. New episodes are out now wherever you listen to podcasts.